My name is John Devine, and I am the host of the Healthy Wealthy People podcast, the show that educates on the three most important pillars of becoming a strong individual, our health, our wealth, and our authentic expression of self. Before we get started, I would like to personally thank you, yes, you, for investing your time with me today, and I ask that if you do find value in today's episode, that you do us both a favor and subscribe. All right, let's jump into it, y'all. Yo, 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 yo. What up, y'all? It's your boy, John Devine, welcoming you back to, believe it or not, guys, episode 11 now of the Healthy Wealthy People podcast. And before we get started, man, I just want to say thank you for jumping on for another episode. But come on, man, let's be honest. I know why you're coming back. It's because the content here is too sick, and today's going to be no different. I'm going to drop one of my favorite topics on you guys, the tax benefits of running a business with a little side piece information on how to run your business with a profit first model. So you better have your pen and your notepad ready because we are bringing a ton of information that is going to help hopefully a lot of you add more to your bottom line every single year. Because if you are properly taking care of your taxes as a business owner, you can give yourself a 33% raise every year. And that's what we're trying to do. I do it with none other than my own personal bookkeeper, Sarah Otto Sherman, the owner and operator of Graceful Accounting. And so a little bit about Sarah is she's been in this industry for 18 years, guys. We're talking about a vet, okay? She spent 11 of those years as a corporate bookkeeper, learning all the ins and outs of books that do millions and hundreds of millions of dollars in business. And then about seven years ago in 2015, she decided she wanted to take all that information and bring it to small business owners and get personal with numbers, right? Start building relationships around bookkeeping and really learning the intricate, unique traits of small businesses that add to our economy. So without further ado, today's guest, Sarah Otto Sherman. All right. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you. Yes, yes. Very excited to have you on today to talk about one of my favorite parts of business, which is saving money on taxes. Absolutely. Yes. And uh, so let's just tell everyone a little bit about your story. So you've been in bookkeeping in some way, shape or form for the last 18 years, right? Correct. So where did you get your start in this industry? Actually, it was at a uh, public accounting firm. And so I first started there as a staff accountant. And I think that was probably the best experience I could have because it exposed me to a lot of different clients and understanding how they all function within uh, themselves and their operations and then translating that into numbers and um, posting them into different categories, reconciling it, filing different tax returns and various reports required by the tax agencies. So you say you worked with a a big uh span of businesses like what types of businesses i guess would you say you worked with most 
Well, it varies. I mean, even with the current clients that I have, which I feel like I kind of operate in that same sense of providing a service to multiple clients. Uh, and so I think at that time, it was probably uh, insurance clients or um, entrepreneurs of some sort, uh, maybe um, capital ventures, uh, just lots of different uh, industries, which I think was interesting. And that's what I like now about what I do is just being able to see other people's passions and how they're following through in that area. And then being able to uh, fine tune the accounting around it so that I can help them understand from a financial perspective uh, to translate it into what they're doing to uh, follow through on their passion and how that can become uh, sustainable from a financial perspective. I mean, I agree uh, in selling insurance. One of my favorite parts of what I do is meeting all the different types of businesses and the people and learning about what they do and how it impacts the economy. And so I have agents that I train that they're terrified to cold call and walk into a business and put themselves out there. And I was like, look, this is how I frame it. You're getting an opportunity to walk in and meet a business owner at maybe a very, very high level in your local community and get to know what they do and build a relationship with them. And some of them are awesome. Some of them aren't, but like, to me, the fun of the business is really learning about all the other businesses that make our little economy turn. Exactly. And yeah. that's the coolest thing is we all have certain gifts and talents and it's just being able to see how it all fits together. Yeah. And I love that you just said that. Cause that's really like, in my mind, the purpose of this episode is, yeah, we're going to try and teach you how to do some bookkeeping and get some stuff strategically ready and tracked on your own. But for me, as you start to build and scale your business, your time becomes more and more and more valuable in this teeny little scope that you're becoming a professional in. And so then it starts to be, okay, I need to bring in another professional to like run this part of my business. Mm -hmm. You do our bookkeeping. I have an accountant. Kelly runs all my marketing. I've got a guy that edits this podcast, right? So that I don't have to spend my sales or training time going through four hours of editing that he could do in one. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. So putting the right people in your corner. So then you started 18 years ago. How long did you work at that company? Well, in, in public accounting, it was just a couple years uh, because what I found was that uh, there was so much volume and every client uh, required more and more time. And I felt like I was constantly being pulled in different directions. So as much as it was fun and exciting to be able to do the accounting, I felt like I couldn't dedicate the time that I wanted to, the time and attention that I wanted to on certain clients. So that's when I transitioned into private accounting. And then I started working for other private companies as their controller. Okay. And just gaining my experience that way. And I guess how, how long did you spend as a controller in other companies? Uh, probably about 12 years or so. Okay. Yep. And then was it at that point after 12 years that you decided to start doing your own thing and go out and run your own business? I actually wanted to start a family. Okay. And so I, uh, I decided that I wanted to, when my daughter was born, that I wanted to stay home with her Okay. because that was important for me mm -hmm. to be present with her. 
And um, about 18 months, at about 18 months old, I decided that I was, I had missed accounting and I wanted to get back into using my brain and feeling accomplished in the numbers world yep. because it is a passion of mine. It, and I know people look at me funny when I say <laughs> that I love accounting, but it just makes so much sense. And it's just exciting to see the numbers tie out and there's always an answer and it's just straightforward for me. And um, so I thought, well, I was trying to figure out a way that I could get back into accounting, but not have the commitment of like, you know, a 10 hour day, five days a week. And I thought, well, maybe I could start my own business and maybe that would definitely provide me flexibility. Um, and it would allow me to practice what I love to do. And so I had, um, I did that. I officially started my business, um, Graceful Accounting. What year was that? Uh, that was 2016. Congrats. Thank it's you. It's a big deal. It's a huge deal. And it's a big leap to like step out and, and be vulnerable and try something that's unfamiliar. And, you know, that's the difference, I think, between working for a company is there's that consistency, typically, that you're just going to go to work every day with a paycheck. Mm -hmm. And it's different than when you have your own business and now it's on you to do everything, mm -hmm. uh, including uh, find clients and mm -hmm. find the time and uh, the finances to support it until it can support itself. Mm -hmm. So And marketing and, you know, one of the biggest things that I deal with with bringing independent contractors into my business is, like you just said, you're used to working 40, 50, 60 hours a week for mm -hmm. somebody and you're afraid to miss a day or be late because mm -hmm. you might be fired and then they own their own business and they're like, wait a second, I woke up late today and nobody was down my back. Oh, I didn't work today. And then slowly but surely the complacency makes it so that they're not running a business. I say you got to be the business owner, you also have to be the number one employee. That's right. If you say this needs to be done, you have to be the guy to execute it. There's nobody else in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's right. It's tough. It's on you. And hopefully uh, for business owners or entrepreneurs that have found that they find something they love to do, because if you're going to commit all in in all these areas, then it should be enjoyable. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you're just wasting your time that you could be doing something else. I agree. And man, I feel when you say like people look at you weird because you like numbers and so do I. Like I'm in financial insurance, but like numbers are easy. They don't mm -hmm. lie. There's no emotion clouding the decision. Right. It's just like, here's the information. What are you going to do with it? Mm -hmm. So whether it's accounting or investing or whatever, mm -hmm. I agree. I, I love the numbers world because it's just it's simpler than humans. <laughs> it's very non-emotional. <laughs> right. And like people make numbers out to be this complicated thing. But if you understand them, you just do the equation and there's your answer. There's mm -hmm. not like all this complicated human emotional. That's the hard part about running a business is then you have to get in the human emotional part and get clients and do yes. sales and manage mm -hmm. your clients. And you don't get to just be the numbers guy, mm -hmm. which as an accountant, maybe you got to do and now you have to manage the client side. So how's that been for you going from an accountant to a mom mm -hmm. to a business owner? What was that transition yeah. like? Well, being, becoming a mom is, is a whole new thing because being a parent, it, it's, it's kind of funny because I feel like I, I feel so comfortable and accomplished in accounting and then motherhood is just completely different. It's like, don't I know it? <laughs> there's no manual. 
and there's no like anything. It's just, okay, do what you can. Um, but when I got into the business, it was like the familiarity of, okay, I know accounting. So that's set. It's just a matter of how do I run a business now, which is also new. And as far as the client interaction side, that's actually one of my most favorite parts now of the business. Okay. Um, because I like to share the information that I know about the accounting side with business owners that could be intimidated by the accounting or they don't understand uh, what the numbers mean or how to use them. Um, they might not know how to use an accounting software to track their numbers. And so one of the services that I offer is training because I okay. love to share information that I have. I think it's so valuable. And the um, response on the other end from my clients is gratitude. I mean, they're just so thankful to be able to have someone that's patient. I feel like a lot of times there's not a lot of patience in this world and it's just yeah. a lot of expectancy of instant understanding. And uh, sometimes it takes time and also being able to relate what it is that I'm showing them to what it is they're doing out in the field because it's, there's sometimes can be a disconnect of like, I see what you're saying on, okay, here's my revenues and here's all the expenses, but what does that mean for what I'm actually doing? Okay. Well, let's look at the analysis of it. Let's not just record numbers and make sure they're all there, but let's use it to understand your business and grow your business and um, be able to make better informed decisions about your business and the direction you want to go and see what's working for you, um, what's bringing in the most profit for that particular revenue stream. Um, maybe there's different avenues that you're trying to share uh, with your customers and you want to see which one works best. And so being able to take the number side of it to help them see, okay, let me try this avenue then. Let me take the cash on hand that I have, spend it in a way that works best for my business, that is a tax write-off mm -hmm. that I can use <laughs> to increase my profits um, and then grow my business and, and make it better. So you've grown to, to love the educational piece of it, empowering people. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's great. Same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So then that was 2016? Correct. Okay, so you've been running the business now for six years. It has recently made a move state-wise, right? Right, yes. So you just came to Montana from where? From Georgia. That's right. That's right. I knew it. There's no <laughs> real draw, so... I'm not originally from there. Okay. I grew up in the military, so I'm kind of used to being all over the U.S. Okay. Um, but most recently did relocate from southeast Georgia, which is basically Florida. So <laughs> okay. it's still summer down there. Okay. And uh, it's very much winter here. Yeah. 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 You're in Libby, Montana, too. So <laughs> you're in the haven of winter. Yes. Up in the mountains. Absolutely. But yeah. it's beautiful. It is beautiful. Was. There's there's nothing else that I've seen. Yeah. It's funny because that's actually how we met. Uh, you guys, two episodes ago, we were uh, talking about, you know, my mortgage process. And I was trying to purchase an investment property in Libby. Uh, and you were just moving there looking for an office to rent and I happened to need a bookkeeper and it was just this All beautiful, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Have you found a office up there? I did actually. Okay. Congrats. Yeah. You yeah. like it? Thank you. I do. And, 
It's great too because it incorporates my daughter, of course. Like she has her own playroom area in there, and then I have my office area, and then like a little kitchenette area in the back. Okay. So awesome. It fits. It's like a home away from home. Good. Love it. Yeah. Um. So that you moved to Libby when? Uh, April. Okay. And how's the business been adjusting to Montana? Do you have a bunch of Montana clients now? Is it just an office space so you can manage your clients elsewhere because you work national, international? That's right. Yes. So um, so the primary focus for me establishing my business was to be there for my daughter, for the flexibility. Uh, so it's a remote-based business. Um, all of my clients have stayed with me. So with me relocating here, it's not really like it's impeded any of the the business practices that I have because I've designed it to where I can access their computer or I can have a Zoom meeting or we have an online-based accounting software program that we can both access from wherever we are. And so, um, so I've retained those clients and then I have a few Montana clients as well. Um, but all my business is referral, so it's just a matter of if someone's working with me and they'd like to share my business, then I'm happy to to speak with them. Yeah, uh, you've been running my bookkeeping since like May. I feel like I moved here, and then we started like that next month. Yes, so since like May, and this is our first time meeting in person. Yeah, that's right. So like. Anyone who's listening thinking like, oh, you know, I need to go find some apparently bookkeeping as long as you have access to my bank account mm -hmm. and my numbers, mm -hmm. you can do your job. That's right. Okay, sweet. Yeah. So, yeah, for anyone thinking like I need to go find a bookkeeper, just get a word of mouth recommendation or mm -hmm. at the end of the show, call Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, they can run the business autonomously. Mm -hmm. Nice. Um, okay, so to get into the meat and potatoes, what we're talking about here today, guys, um, throughout my journey of entrepreneurship, um, through building my first, well, really my first business is when I was 14, um, and I started training other kids' martial arts clients, um, but obviously that wasn't a legit business that needed to be taxed or anything like that, but then from starting Divine Fitness running that for four years and then running this business over the last five years. In the last nine years, the amount of questions I get on how do I start a business? Like you answered your question in the question, start it, right? That's it. You just, you literally have to start whatever it is that you think you want to do. Um, and then from there, like, okay, how do I run a business? And so we're not going to get too deep into like the day-to-day -day operations because every business is different. But what we're going to talk about here is like if you are a sole proprietor already and what that means, guys, is let's say you have a side hustle. Let's say that you do some baking at your house and you sell a couple of pies a week or let's say you sell some sneakers and you sell sneakers, you know, a couple of pairs a month or whatever. Um, whatever your little side hustle is, you're doing some Amazon drop shipping, whatever, and you're starting to be like, oh, I could turn this into a business. You're already making revenues, right? We want to talk to those people. We want to talk to them about how to properly set themselves up financially, set their businesses up. We want to talk to the people that are transitioning from that to maybe an LLC, which is really the same thing, um, just a little bit more uh, protection um, separating you from the business, right? And then 
finally, and we're not going to talk deep on this, this is going to kind of be segueing into another episode. Um, we'll talk about moving yourself from that sole proprietor LLC into more of a corporate um, setting. And so what we're really breaking down here is like finances, income, banking, taxes, tracking, reporting, all that stuff, right? Because I had a business coach when I was running Divine Fitness and he was trying to get me into like getting my LLC set up, um, growing my business. And the biggest thing he was trying to teach me was taxes and tax write-off. Um, and he was like, bro, if you are not properly tracking your income and spending and you're just paying whatever taxes that you have to pay at the end of the year and you're not doing any write-offs by simply tracking your finances and doing write-offs, you can give yourself up to a 30% raise every year because now that money is going towards you or your business instead of uncle Sam. And when he said that, like you can give yourself a 30% raise. I was like, Whoa, I need to learn what you were talking about, bro. And so that was six, seven years ago when I really started being like, okay, this is important. And so that's what I'm trying to bring to you. Cause I know a lot of you running a side hustle, maybe not even reporting the income. That's none of my business or you are reporting the income, but you're not reporting all of your investing into the business, like buying all the stuff, driving to pick up the stuff, et cetera. Um, and so that's really what we're going to get into, I guess my first question getting into this, Sarah, would be, do you have an overlying like worry or question when people first come to you and they're just like, oh my God, I'm lost. I need help. Is there like kind of an overlying theme with that in the industry when people come to you? Because I'm sure if there is, we're going to have quite a few listeners that are feeling the same way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So whenever I meet a prospective client, the first thing I do is have a discovery call with them. Okay. And really that's just an opportunity for me to hear from them. Where are they at in their business? Um, most entrepreneurs that I meet with, they are very excited about what they're doing and they launch in to just doing. Mm -hmm. And they don't think about the money side as much yep. until all of a sudden maybe they look at their bank balance or they hear something about taxes and they're, and then they think, okay, maybe I should do something about this. And so typically when I meet with them, um, they're already started their business. Uh, sometimes they have a dedicated bank account for the business, sometimes not, but that is something I do recommend. And that's to help with keeping personal and business separate. Mm -hmm. Even if you're sole proprietor or LLC, it's just a good idea because whenever you're reporting all of this, all of this information on your tax return, uh, it's easier to look back at transactions that you know are dedicated to running the business. And so for me, it's understanding where they are financially and understanding how their business is functioning. What do they do within their specific operations? How does that translate into uh, when they go and buy uh, computer equipment for their business because they fix computers, they're in IT, then all of a sudden, okay, that's an expense. That's a computer equipment expense. We need to document that and track it as part of a tax deductible item so that when they bill their customer for the services they provided, which would be the revenue portion, now all of a sudden we have service revenue that's reduced by their purchase of the computer equipment. Right. So when you're filing with the IRS, 
um, you're not paying for all your revenues only. It's reduced because you are investing in your business in different capacities, and that could be one of them. So um, that's what I would say as far as understanding what they do and uh, where they're at. A lot of clients, um, they haven't done anything yet, or they've started with QuickBooks, which is an accounting program that can be web-based or on your computer. And they've put a few receipts in there, but they're not tracking it consistently. Right. Um, or they're using Excel, which is a Microsoft Office program that's like in a grid format. And it helps you to put certain numbers in different cells and run formulas with them. So once I understand what it is they're doing, then I help by making recommendations. And I don't ever want to push anything on anybody because it's when you're ready and what you're comfortable with. Um, and so I also offer, I can help them with it or I can teach them how to use it and do it themselves. Um, if you're running a business at any level, you're ready. Yes. Every day that you wait, you're burning money. So. Yes. Yes. And, and it's important to track everything you do because it's at the end of the year when it's time to file the income tax return, um, it's you're going to need to have it and trying to go back in time and remember what you did on that day mm -hmm. or if you did this, it's just that much more complicated. So, okay. So for the most part there really what you're dealing with as a whole, when people come to you is just, I've been making money and now I need help. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And I feel like most of the people listening are going to be in the same way because you're not really thinking about, taxes or tax write-offs or any of that unless you have extra money coming in from something mm -hmm. right so for any of you that are trying to identify yourself i would say a sole proprietor is you make any amount of money doing something outside of a nine to five employment status mm -hmm. right you painted your friend's wall and he paid you 50 bucks and you're considering going into painting right like make it easy on yourself start being a sole proprietor and now all your paint brushes and your paint and I'll start using those receipts as write-offs instead of just waiting and being like, well, it's not a company that makes $50,000 a year yet. Mm -hmm. Like a sole proprietor, you're making any amount of money doing anything outside of nine to five employment. And also because it can grow from there. Right. That's and the that's, point. That's the goal. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As if you guys were listening to uh, episode nine, when we talked about my mortgage, like, what did the mortgage lenders tell me as a 1099 self-employed person every year as the market was going up, go make more money. Mm -hmm. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Cool. Thanks. Balance. Good advice, bro. <laughs> it's a fine balance of trying to make a profit and minimizing your tax liabilities. It's a fine balance because you want to be able to do other financial things with mm -hmm. your profit, but then again, you don't want to give away all your profit either. Right. So. Yep. Yeah. That whole gross net, yeah, it's it's wild. But in my book, guys, it, it doesn't matter how high your tax bill goes. If A, you know how to properly do write-offs, B, you know how to structure um, the legal side of your business, and then C, uh, if you're paying $150,000 in taxes, it means you're making three, four, five hundred thousand dollars $500,000 a year. You're still going to be way better off on the income side, no matter how much money you're spending in taxes, right? Like, so... Don't be afraid of paying taxes. Um, I, I don't know. I follow a CPA guy on Instagram, and he was 
giving this uh, course the other day, and he was saying some ridiculous number, like the tax code has something like 33,000 pages. Mm -hmm. But then he said, like, 30-something pages are dedicated to how to pay taxes. Everything else is some version of how to do a write-off or a liability or an investment or that and all these ways that like you get tax breaks correct dude that blows my mind mm -hmm. and that's why so many people end up stuck is because they're just focused on the 30 something pages of paying taxes mm -hmm. so what we're going to try and get you guys to focus on is the other 30,000 something pages on how to get breaks and write-offs and yeah set yourself up so that again more of that money is either coming to you or your business that's right and I think that we get tax write-offs because a lot of employees go, why do you get a tax write-off for being a bit – we're trying to develop and grow the economy. That's right. Right? That's right. So, yeah, for anyone who's like, why do business owners get it? Because we're growing the economy, not just working in it. Well, you're becoming your own business, really. I mean, when you work for someone, they're doing all the overhead management. Yeah. They're – paying you as an employee as part of the staff to support it and keep their business running. Mm -hmm. So when you step outside of that and you now become that, that business owner yourself, now you're the one responsible to manage all the overhead and to provide proper support. Yeah. Agreed. So if you are in that sole proprietor um, and guys, again, if you just are like the person we live in 2022 in the social media era, so everyone now has a side hustle. They, that term, everyone thinks it's so, I got a side hustle. I'm making some money on the side selling shoes. I'm making, so if you have a side hustle, you're a sole proprietor, okay? Um, this is really gonna come down to like an employee versus an independent contractor, and you were saying something like, it's more about the time that you're spending building this thing. Right, yeah, so, so when we're talking about employee versus independent contractor, so that's an example of when uh, you're earning revenue yep. um, in the sense of the tax status. If you're an employee and you're working, you know, your primary focus and time is spent for this particular business or this operation, then you should be in a W-2 status versus a 1099 independent contractor status. Um, when you're a 1099 independent contractor, you can spread your revenue sources throughout multiple areas. But if you're going to focus primarily on one, then you would want to uh, be a W-2 earner. You're paying taxes on that income at the moment. Independent contractors, they earn money through the year without paying taxes. And then all of a sudden at the end of the year, you're stuck with a potentially bigger tax bill. Mm -hmm. So that's another thing to think about, even in the business sense, um, when you're planning that as your company is growing and you're making more money, that you want to set aside money to pay for any income tax obligations that you may incur. As a general rule of thumb for an independent contractor that is going to be setting aside money, because guys, let me tell you, um, if anyone knows what it's like to be broke and starting a business, I've done it twice, right? Um, so a lot of times they go, I can't put 15% of this aside because I need that 15% to pay, you know, rent or whatever, right? And so a lot of, I know, new independent contractors get caught, especially if they reduce their hours at their employee place or quit their job altogether too early. Then all of a sudden they're like, I need every single dime 
that people are paying me because I'm just getting started. So as a rule of thumb, what would you say is a new independent contractor they should be setting aside each time they get paid? So, well, as, and as that translates into business owner, because um, that is something to when you are a business owner, you are self-employed. So you have a self-employment tax that goes along with it. That's 15%. That normally when you're an employee, that you pay that in the form of Social Security, Medicare. It's just, it comes out there. But Ahead of time. You're, you're penalized for it, uh, unfortunately, as a, as a business owner. Um, so I would say that um, establishing a budget is one of the first uh, primary things that I would recommend. And when you're just starting out, you know, you don't really have a basis yet on where to start as far as budgeting, but you have goals because you know that if you're going to move forward with um, a passion and that would translate into revenue generating, then you would want to say, okay, for this next 12 months of the year, um, my goal is to make 30000 for this business. And then as the year progresses, you can see how are you trending? How does how do your actual earnings compare to what your goal was? And that starts the process of the budget. Um, and then as well from even an expense standpoint, okay, if I if I know that in that thirty thousand I want to have a net profit of ten thousand. So that means I can only spend twenty thousand um, dollars on uh, investing in the business. Yep. Um, buying uh, necessary equipment for the business uh, so that at the end of the day I have 10000 And then from there, that would give you your net profit on how to determine what your tax liability is, um, is what, whatever your profit is. So I would say that that would be where I would start is to establish your budget and then start tracking your actuals against it. And so then the next year you could have a baseline and you could say, okay, so I did achieve that and now I want to double it. I want to grow it yep. twice as much. So that means um, you, when you're looking at that um, on the expense side, you want to see um, of these expenses, how many of them were recurring, how many of them were startup only, how many of them are going to be new expenses that I'm going to need to pay for to sustain the business. And having that critical thinking about um, – how to understand your expense structure. And that's something that I like to provide that insight because when you're in the moment of running the business, it's more just like you see a need, you fill it, and then you keep moving forward. Um, but it's really that analytical side that helps you understand, well, what is it about what I'm doing that I can capitalize on, that I can use to my advantage? Um, so that's on the expense side. On the revenue side, I would say that um, depending on what you're doing, like if, you, if you're if you running a bakery and you have pies versus cakes uh, versus other pastries, um, understanding, you know, what is the season where some of them are most popular? What is your margin on all of the ingredients that need to go into it? Margin meaning... Um, your revenue less the cost of the products to make it. Yep. Just those two factors right there. Um, and then structuring it to say, um, you know, where do I see the the greatest interest? 
and what makes the most money for me and where do I want to spend my time? There's so much that goes into it, way more than just actually doing the business. Yeah, and I don't know, I, I assume that this would work, but um, for anyone who listened to episode two, when I talk about my tips for building wealth and just getting yourself set, one of the major steps is budgeting. And two of the tools that I use is just a Microsoft Excel sheet. If that's the way your brain works, if you don't want to do that much work and tracking and all that stuff, I recommend using Mint, the app, and plugging that into your account. And its software will just take and then eat everything up and be like, here's what you're spending on rent, food, gas, this, that, the other, and you can just see it all projected out for you. If you don't want to get into the nitty gritty of putting everything that you're spending, just attach it to your bank account. You'll see that report every month and it'll even alert you. It'll be like, whoa, you're way over budget on food this month per your trend. And maybe you had a big event that you were cooking for or something, but you're like, yeah, I know that. Or you go, oh, I wasn't paying attention to my spending this month, right? So mm -hmm. an app like Mint just connected to like your business account, would that so work? Mint is actually an Intuit product like QuickBooks. Oh. And so okay. I, I support QuickBooks. I think that that's probably the most user-friendly, um, most encompassing general ledger accounting program. Okay. It's web-based or desktop-based. Um, they're both subscription-oriented now, but... Um, web-based, meaning that as long as you have access to the internet and a web yeah. browser, you can log in. Um, one of the benefits of doing that, if you have a bookkeeper or an accountant, is they can log in as well and see what you're doing. And so I'll do that often. And uh, I can do the accounting on the back end so that when I meet with my clients, I can share with them, here's your set of financial statements. This is what it means. And so I think if you're in that business sense, maybe Mint is more for personal management. Okay. And I think for QuickBooks, that would be more for business-based. And it's small business to larger business. So, um, you know, there are clients using QuickBooks that are making millions of dollars each year, but it's the same basic platform using that standard general ledger of posting income and expenses to the different areas. And now, a quick word from today's sponsor, Cryo Kalispell. This one goes out to all my veterans with sore joints and blown out discs, my athletes with sore muscles, heck, even my moms with sore low backs from carrying kids all day. Really, anyone with overall muscle soreness, joint pain, and body aches. If you're looking to speed up your recovery time, soothe those muscles, and get back to a pain-free life, Man, today is your lucky day because cryotherapy is the perfect solution. Cryocalispell's cutting-edge cryosana effectively speeds up recovery times and repairs damaged muscle tissue. Guys, let me tell you, I am a big, big fan and personally use this treatment, especially after heavy lifts. So if you go in and mention that you got this deal from the Healthy Wealthy People podcast, you are going to get a three-session pack for only $99. So go book now at cryocalispell.com and let's get back to the show. Another thing I want to, to talk about as we start to get into the actual um, breakdown of like something that's really cool, the, the profit first uh, five accounts, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, but I feel like most people, especially in 2022 going into 2023 again, 
with social media culture of side hustle and CEO and this and I flip stuff and da 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 da. Um, you know, I run this big successful business and it's trips to the beach and private jets all the time. People want to start a business and they think that's what it's going to be like on day one, month one, week one. Like I literally had somebody quit insurance sales where, you know, my average transaction is a hundred, 150 bucks a person. And they quit after a month because they had friends that got rich in insurance, which insurance is one of the most guaranteed ways to get rich. And then in six weeks he was like, why am I not making tens of thousands of dollars? I was like, are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. Like, dude, you're in, you're on week six. I had a negative $7,000 tax bill difference on my first year, mm -hmm. meaning I spent $7,000 more than I made. I was $7,000 in the red on year one, but guys, I get to roll that seven grand into next year. It's like rollover minutes, mm -hmm. right? Yep. I get that tax break next year. So I'm starting with a $7,000 credit. Plus I still got to run and invest in the business. Mm -hmm. So Typically, the rule that I've heard is you're in the red for three years. That's correct. Right? Yep. Depending on the business, depending on the size of the investments that you're making, you know, what it takes to run it. You know, if you're going to be starting a restaurant and getting a loan for the building and the cooking equipment and, you know, payroll for the first year, like you're starting in a massive debt. So don't overjudge yourself and think that you need to be running this giant profitable business day one, month one year one, mm -hmm. right? That's right. If you can break even by year three, yes. you are right on track with the average business. That's right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And so to that point, when you're spending more than you bring in, it's good to have capital to supplement in place of that. Because um, when you're, when you're doing a startup, it, it does require upfront expenses depending mm -hmm. on the, on the business, but typically it does. And so the goal is to, try to have a good idea of where your where your revenues are going to come from as well so that while you're investing in it you're starting to get that return mm -hmm. and it may be nominal at first and it may not cover what your initial investment is but it's all for um the total growth of the business itself yep yeah and on the flip side of that that shouldn't deter you from investing in your business right right like it's going to cost, it's literally people ask Kelly and I all the time if we're going to have a third baby, where, when are you guys going to have your baby? And we're like, we have a third baby. It's Divinity Group. <laughs> it is. And Divinity Group <laughs> went and had its other baby, the podcast. And like, it takes so much time, energy, focus, money. It's a child, right? It is. Full-time commitment. And yes. my other children get jealous of how much time I spend with the business. Yes. But I'm like, babies, this is what feeds you. Like, well, that's true. That is one thing where, and I think to transition from like a hobby into a full fledged business, that's where you will see the difference too, is that you're actually seeing that revenue being generated mm -hmm. and growing. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes what you use to sustain through your life. Mm -hmm. So yeah, guys, side hustles are great because then you still have the main income, right? Damon John, the shark tank, uh, phenomenon that uh, started FUBU clothes. Uh, you know, he was working at Red Lobster when he started FUBU and he was selling t-shirts and hats on the street at night and on weekends. Right. But he was waiting tables to make FUBU and now he's hundreds of millions of dollars a year. Right. So side hustle is great. I never had a side hustle. I was like, if I'm going to do this, the time that I can spend on my business is worth 10 X, whatever they're going to pay me to flip burgers or clean windows or 
whatever. Um, so I'm not saying that you should just jump in because guys, I was broke the first two years of my first business. And then I started really getting it together for two years. And then I got out of that business and I was broke for two years of starting this business. Right. So either a nest egg or a regular nine to five to help supplement because the beginning is hard. And unless your risk tolerance is through the roof, like mine, you gotta have something that's going to keep some food coming in on the table. Right. My kids literally, we didn't have Christmas. We celebrated Christmas on the 27th because all the presents went on sale on the 26th. So I would go buy their presents on the 26th and we would have Christmas on the 27th and they'd have Christmas on the 25th at their dad's house. Mm -hmm. It's just sacrifices, right? It's because your, your focus is I want to do this to make it greater. Mm -hmm. And so it's initial sacrifices, time, money, Every resource that you have within yourself, it's amplified. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So again, don't overjudge. Don't expect yourself to be, you know, um, Jeff Bezos on year one, right? If you look at pictures from Jeff Bezos or Mark Zuckerberg or Bill Gates or any of those guys, they're like in a garage with a bookshelf behind them. Like that's, that is business, right? All the sexy stuff that you see that you want to achieve, that's not business. Okay. Now. What I want to break down is you kind of talked about this already when you're, when you're talking about um, getting a trend for your business and understanding seasonal uh, money. Like even right now in insurance, people are starting to be like, ooh, Christmas shopping. And so that extra $150, $200 a month for insurance, they're telling me, let's talk in January, right? And I'm five years in. I know that's happening now, right? Mm -hmm. I've yep. told my agents, beware of this. You're going to have to contact more people because everyone's going to be wanting to push you off until next year. Mm -hmm. But if you don't know that and you don't know the highs and lows of your business, you don't know the seasonal over-investing can be a detrimental danger to you because now all of a sudden you dumped a bunch of money in. <laughs> Guys, <laughs> there's no way I could have expected this in 2020. I saw everyone going through the COVID madness down in the lower side of the U.S. and New York and all that panic. Kelly's like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? And I was like, it's never going to come to Montana. We're good. It's fine. And uh, she was working at the buckle and she got furloughed. And I was like, oh, that's weird. Uh, the only reason it touched Montana is because that's a big national corporation, Jane. right? Mm -hmm. Which was true. And so I was like, ah, that won't happen. And then Kelly being furloughed and having all this boost in pay to not go to work and having all her free time, that's when we built Divinity Group. Before, mm -hmm. I was a sole proprietor. I was an independent contractor selling insurance. Mm -hmm. We started Divinity Group. We dumped all the extra money into this office, buying furniture, getting the decals and all that stuff done, building the website, getting the hosting fees, all that. Two days later, COVID shut down Kalispell. And I had a panic attack. And I had to move from Kalispell to Libby. Mm -hmm. That's how I initially got sewn into Libby. Mm -hmm. And I lived at the Evergreen Motel yep. for three and a half, four months of the height of COVID because Libby didn't shut down. So I could still go sell. Kalispell mm -hmm. shut down, so I couldn't go sell. So I then had to move to Libby, live in Libby, increase my expenses because now I'm renting a basically studio apartment up there living there, eating food and Kelly's grocery shopping down here. I'm grocery shopping up there. And so there's times where your business is going to take sacrifice. You're going to over invest and something like 
maybe it's COVID, maybe it's just a slow season is going to come by and it's going to step on your feet. And so how can people prepare for that if they don't know the trend? Right. And, and that's part of, uh, being conscientious of when you're investing is to understand what is essential to get me to the next level. Okay. Um, also, uh, having a savings. So knowing that, well, if you don't have, you know, other income to supplement, then you're going to want to take what you have and then invest a little. So you start slow. Don't, launch in and expect to immediately recoup your investment that goes along the lines of with how most companies most organizations startups will take a loss their first few years so that's 36 months um and when you're managing your your money i think that's also what's so important about putting it into some kind of program or documenting it so that you can see you know, when this money's going out, what is that leaving you with? And trying to establish a cushion. I think for everybody it's different. That's one of the things where it's not like a set rule on how much you should set aside. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, if if you take your business in quarters, um, every three months, that's typically how payroll tax returns run, sales tax returns, um, quarterly estimates for income tax, Lots of things are running on a three-month basis. So if you can run it three months, being very conservative on your investments, and then do a look back and see, okay, how much money did I bring in in that month and how much did I expend? And then is that something what I want to do for the next 90 days? And so I would say uh, to take it in small sections and really look at uh, what is essential for me to invest in can I get a return on this investment or is it just part of the standard overhead setup? Um, and is this recurring? Okay. So those are the guidelines I would say to look at when you're evaluating a purchase. Okay. A lot of things can be wants versus needs. And that's something that I, that I talk to clients about also uh, when they mm -hmm. share about like, this is where I want to be and this is what I want to do. And then I'll say, okay, well, uh, is this required for you to maintain now? No. Okay. Is it something that will get you to the next level? Maybe. Okay. What kind of time frame will it get you there? And so critically thinking about if I'm going to spend this money, knowing that this may be all I have for right now as my total asset, I want to make the wisest decision. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I love that you said that. Cause like when I started this business about a year in, um, once I started doing the finance side of life and then I still had a bunch of people that were wanting to come to me for fitness and nutrition advice. And I was like, in the beginning of my career, I was taking time to do it, but it just, it was making me distracted. Um, and so I had some friends be like, Oh dude, start a podcast, start a podcast. And I was like, yeah, that would be a really good idea. But from a business investment revenue, all that. I knew what it was going to take to build all of this. Four years is what I waited before I was like, okay, now this is not going to hurt us. Boom. We pulled the trigger on it. And that's why it waited until 2022 to happen because me and my friends all talked about it for years. Um, but again, as far as my actual business and revenues went, it didn't financially make sense to do this passion project. So 
there's going to be stuff that you want to do. But mm -hmm. again, you have to have that long-term vision, be able to see what you're doing. And if you're thinking, well, where would be a higher low season in this potential business? Guys, we have the internet. Go on Google. Research. Hey, if you run a pie selling business, what are your busiest months versus your lowest selling months? And you'll get a general idea of like, okay, I can take money from here to help me live here mm -hmm. because I'm going to have this giant influx in personal training and fitness guys. We make like 60% of our revenue on January 1st. Yep. And we do it knowing that 80% of you aren't going to come through and actually use what you spent on. So like, 80% of that giant chunk of revenue for the year, we don't even have to work for. You just gave us that money. You're never going to use it. And now we can use that money for slow season. That's right. Right. Mm -hmm. But that's something that you learn in the fitness industry. So if you're getting into the fitness industry, use that. Um, okay. And then I love where we're at because we're talking about investing. We're talking about how much money should I be putting aside? We're talking about all that. Um, guys, I literally just learned this. I'm naturally doing four of them already. Um, but it's because of the OCD of how my brain works. I couldn't leave everything in one place, but there is something called, uh, profit first, um, as far as setting up bank accounts to get yourself, uh, paid so that you can see where everything is, whether you guys are a sole proprietor or have an LLC with an LLC, it comes with an FEIN number, a federal employment identification number. But whether you're sole proprietor or LLC, you should have a separate bank account. Yes. Yes. Okay. Main purpose is just making sure that everything stays nice and clean and organized, right? For the business. Absolutely. Yep. Yes. So the first um, account that you talked about in the five uh, profit first accounts is income. Why is income first? Well, that's your that's your revenue generator. That's where it's money coming in to help you sustain your business operations. And the reason why uh, you have separate accounts is because when you're running all accounts together on a financial statement, um, it's one lump sum. So it's hard to really pinpoint from a financial management perspective, um, within your cash assets, um, what's truly coming in and what's truly going out and how am I allocating it and adjusting it to account for whatever's happening in the business at the moment. So, um, was that meal really personal or, or business or was it personal because it's a personal account where all the money's pouring into well, from the standpoint of um, when you have all this revenue coming in, it's coming into one account. So when you when you have this thirty thousand a year annual goal, and you have one bank account or one sub account um, dedicated to show when this money is coming in, it's all coming into um, this one income account. So you can see and do trend analysis just in this one area. Um, not that you can't do that on the revenues from a profit and loss report, but it it translates over onto the balance sheet um, in your assets only. Um, and it allows you to transfer out of income um, what you need to pay for your ultimate expenses, managing your cash. 
Because cash is king. Cash is an asset. You can use it to convert into other assets for the business. Um, but it all starts there. And uh, so it allows you to see just at um, an influx standpoint, here's your income. How do I want to spend this money? Um, the subsequent accounts that flow from there are things like operating expenses, um, payroll, um, taxes that you might need to pay on your profit, and then your actual profit. And so it helps you with allocating those based upon performance. Okay. So I like to think of it as you're talking as like the initial revenues are coming in. This is like a big river. Mm-hmm. And that river is funneling into the first big lake, which is going to be your income account, right? That's where right. all that money is going to sit at first. From that income account, as you were just saying, it's going to drop down and that lake is going to exit and there's going to be a little uh, delta that pours out into a stream that goes into a little bit smaller lake and it just goes down and down and down through these five accounts. So um, income is going to be that first lake that the revenue is pouring into and then it's going to drop down into operating. Now operating comes before the third lake of taxes because your operating expenses are tax benefits, correct? Typically tax deductible items, yes. Okay. So we have all of our operating um, expenses. So like for me here, my rent at my office, mm-hmm. operating expense. Yes. Um, you know, I'm a store-to-store salesman, so driving around and mileage. Um, you know, for anyone who comes to sell insurance with me, they need two things, three things. They need their uh, insurance license, so they have to pay for that. That's like, let's say, 200 bucks. They have to get fingerprinted so we can do a background check. That's like 50 bucks. so they're at 250 and then they need an iPad. If they already have an iPad, cool. That's now your business iPad. Um, if they don't, go buy yourself an iPad somewhere between 300 and 1000 bucks. So you start this business for anywhere between 550 to $1,100. And then you literally build your business on the back of cold calling. So your startup cost here would be, let's call it $1,100. And then you're operating by mileage and all that stuff that we're going to get into in taxes. So operating would be a second account or just a sub account from account number one. So there's a couple ways to set it up. Uh, You can set up separate bank accounts to go with each of these categories. That helps you distinctly separate it into when your revenue comes in, it goes into this bank account. And then when you're ready to pay bills, you want to establish a structure of I'm going to pay bills on every two weeks, or I'm going to pay it once a month. And that helps you with maintaining that it's not just money going out the door, that it's uh, a concerted effort on, okay, when I pay these bills, I'm going to transfer the money from the income account into my operating expense account and I'm going to issue the payments from there. So you can set up bank accounts, or if you don't want to, if you want to just maintain one bank account, then on your, um, whether it's your Excel sheet or your QuickBooks program, you can have sub accounts. So you would have bank account as your primary, and then underneath it, you would have sub accounts. So that if you add up all of the values in the sub accounts, it equals whatever your bank balance is for that one account. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Account number three. 
taxes. Mm-hmm. My favorite part of running a business um and you know the 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 real thing that i get asked the most questions on from sole proprietors or other llc people is like man i don't i don't know what is a um tax write off what isn't um if you want to get down into the nitty gritty of your business i would say you need to go get an accountant and really talk about everything that you spend money on mm-hmm. um but what we're going to break down here is kind of how much you should be setting aside uh, in this account just so that you're safe for paying taxes. Cause again, at the end of the year, who man, uh, I guys, if you again, listen to the episode nine, where we talked about my mortgage, I went in confident as hell after three years of running my business. And on year three, we grew 92%. Um, as a independent contractor, I needed two years of income before I could apply for a loan anyways. So I had my three years, I'd grown the business. I was like, yeah, we gonna get that loan. I walk in and they use net income for business owners, mm-hmm. not gross income, right. like employees. And so then they were like, oh yeah, dude, you did make a lot more money. You also spent a lot more money on your business. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, so? And they were like, so <laughs> you can't use that income. You need to go out next year and make more money and maybe manage how much you're investing into your business. That way you have a higher net income. Um, And so then at the end of that year, I had been managing my spending, but then I had a big old tax bill, right? So luckily I knew that was coming. Um, I was saving for it. But first in that tax account, uh, how much money on general um, should somebody be putting aside as a sole proprietor, LLC, independent contractor, so that they're not totally screwed at the end of the year? Yeah, so it's definitely based upon your what your net profit is. That's your taxable income, like you were saying. Um, when there's tax tables that the IRS has that say when you have uh, taxable income of this value, here's what your tax liability will be. When you are a sole proprietor or an LLC, um, that's just additional income that feeds into your individual tax return. So it's another area of income that the IRS will factor in to total income and put it on the tax table. So that's where working with a CPA to understand, or even TurboTax, I mean, you can put into that um, what your total earnings are, and it'll tell you what your tax liability is. Um, I will say the difference with a sole proprietor is you do have that self-employment tax. It's like a penalty, really. I mean, it's unfortunate that they do that for entrepreneurs that are really trying to grow a new business. Um, but of course, you know, everybody has their own side of financials. And so, um, so I would say at a minimum of fi- uh, 15% to set aside for that okay. so that you're covering that. And then just to manage visibility over your profitability and then tax plan through the year. What I mean by that is, um, understanding at a minimum of like where's the threshold on the tax table that says when you start to earn this much or more now you will be taxed at this rate visibility over profitability i like that um i'm gonna write that somewhere in the show notes or the title or something that was great um okay so 15 percent um set aside and yeah guys like she said we get penalized for being business owners um there's going to be pen tax, paper tax, finger toe tax, glasses tax, 
self-employment tax, like anywhere they can put something to pull some money out. Um, so you need to be setting money aside for that. And then my favorite part, how do we get that number as low as possible? Right. Which means investing in your business so that you have write-offs and deductions at the end of the year that you can go. Yeah. I made this much, but I also spent this much. And again, for my first year, negative $7,000 uh, tax credit to roll into that next year. Um, so investing in your business is a good thing. We're going to have another huge write-off year with all of this, right? So um, when we're talking about basic write-offs for just businesses in general, what are we going to go down for? Like, these are definite things that I don't care what you're doing. You can write them off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, and where, what I, how I look at it is, um, when we're looking at a profit and loss report, which is one of the standard financial statements, uh, that shows you when you're bringing money in, um, what are the expenses that are also coming off? And so if I'm looking at it alphabetically, um, starting with advertising and marketing. So this is something where you're making efforts to get your business name out there, whether it's through pamphlets or in the newspaper or on the radio or um, promo pieces or sponsorships, something where you're trying to represent your name out there so that other people know about you and may want to do business with you. So podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Every avenue that you can find to to bring awareness, absolutely. Guys, down to social media ads, right? If you make a post for social media, a lot of business owners love social media because it's free advertising, right? I can put it on there. It doesn't cost me any money. However, then you can put investment money. You can sponsor that ad, and now you can push it out and have Facebook, Instagram targeting different people to bring to your business now that free Facebook ad that you were using, you've now put money into it, which is going to increase the amount of eyes that see it. So it's going to bring you more business and you get a write off on the sponsorship of that ad. Again, if it's for your business. So everything from social media to traditional media to again, podcasting, any way to get your name out there. Divinity group has a custom blended wine with its own wine label and all that stuff that we use as gifts to clients advertising and marketing, right? Um, so it's one of my favorite ones because it's how you get your business out there, right? It's how you get into um, other people's businesses. It's, you know, we sponsor all kinds of local events. And so Divinity Group is all over being the lead sponsor for drive-in movie theaters and um, ribbon cuttings with the um, Chamber of Commerce and like anywhere where you can put your name in front of a big group of people, you should be doing that both for taxes and bringing more business if you can handle more business. Um, okay. So that would be advertising and marketing. What else are we looking at? Okay. So then the next one would be like bank service charges. So that's something where if you have a bank account and you have a monthly fee, um, that's something you can deduct because it's a cost of doing business. And that's really what is at the crux of expenses is, is this an expense I'm incurring because it's for my business to stay in business and to grow the business. Um, so bank service charges also along with um, merchant service charges. So if you accept 
payments from your customers through these third-party merchants like, like Square, Stripe. Um, they charge you a fee. And so you have the opportunity to pay that fee yourself as a business and you deduct it off of your revenues. Or if you want to save your cash, then you can pass it on to your customers and then they end up paying for it. So there's a couple of different ways to work that. But if you are going to pay for it, then you can deduct it. Um, another thing is charitable contributions. So if you're going to donate for the business. Uh, now, this is something that when you make this donation in your business name, you cannot be receiving anything back from it, whether it's gifts or something in exchange, because that's not considered a contribution. That's it's, a transaction. <laughs> a business transaction. So, um, but that is another area. Uh, dues and subscriptions. So that is something like if you're going to have a membership to an organization, if you know, within your industry, they have different um, memberships that you can be a part of to have that status or that part of that grouping. Um, also with subscriptions to software programs or um, like CRM softwares. There's so many avenues, especially in today's technology world, where you are constantly subscribing to things. And so if you're subscribing to have this tangible product or service for your business, that is an area that you should be considering deducting that. Yeah, I literally learned about the bank fees today. I knew about um, like this fees through like Square or Stripe or any of that. I knew all that, um, but I literally learned about bank fees today. So yeah, still learning stuff, guys. Um, that's crazy. Uh, as far as donations, you know, 501c3 organization is a great way to just be like, yeah, this is going to be a legit donation, right? Because they can write you a literal receipt. Um, and so, guys, I'm big on this. Um, I grew up in martial arts, and the only real reason I got to travel with the competitive team is because my adopted parents, they ended up becoming my adopted parents, but... Um, they had a 501c3 sponsorship program for kids that couldn't afford to travel. And so for me, that that's a big piece of giving back. If we're building the economy and then we really start making money um, is making sure that the people who are nonprofit, I am not ashamed. I am 100% for profit. And part of that profit is going to go to help nonprofits. Um, so in the last two years since 2020 hit, uh, DG has raised or donated over $27,000 for local nonprofits. It's my favorite part of the business and you get a tax write-off mm -hmm. for it. So mm -hmm. it's good for your economy. It's good for local nonprofits. It's good for your business. Like it's good for branding and marketing, right? If one of the people that I learned this from is Nathan Garber here in the Flathead Valley, this guy donates more money than anyone I've ever met in my entire life. And it lights him on fire, but like Leon Holding Company, his banner is all over town because he's one of the biggest donors to like 15 of the nonprofits here. So it's also advertising. Like mm -hmm. it's it's crazy, guys. To give, you get, right? Don't expect to get, but like it is a give-to-get industry. Subscriptions. Um, I'm on the monthly wine, so I get three bottles of wine. Um, and then I pay extra to have Divinity Group's um, label put on them. And then again, we use those for uh, client gifts. And then 
Um, I'm part of the wine club, so I can literally take clients into the winery and I get a free flight every single day. So then I take a client in there, we sit down, I get the free flight, we have a business meeting there, um, but that is part of the subscription um, that I have. Divinity Group owns um, a, a locker and does marketing with um, the local cigar lounge. And through that, again, I take clients there. The cigar lounge ended up becoming a client. Um, and so there's all different kinds of weird subscriptions and things that you can do again, if it's legitly going to be something for your business. So run it through the other account, make sure it's with your business name on it, not your name. Um, make sure that there's some way to prove that it is working for the business or bringing you clients. Um, so important there. Um, office versus home office. Right. Yes. I learned something about this today too. So yeah, I was not happy about it, but explain. <laughs> home office. That is controversial in the greatest sense. Um, mostly because, uh, because the IRS has regulations on what they consider a home office. Also because some taxpayers may misuse the home office deduction. We know you would never do that. Yes. Not pointing fingers, <laughs> but just making blanket statements. Um, and so so the way that it's that it's looked at is um, that you can have a have a home office. What that means is you're going if you're going to have a home office, um, it needs to be in your home or you know, somewhere where it's dedicated that in this square footage of available square feet, that this is purely for business purposes, that you only transact business in there, that there are no personal, um, you know, any kind of personal relations um, in regards to um, if it's a spare bedroom that's, that guests sleep in, or if it's, um, kind of like a side playroom, but sometimes you work in there. It it really needs to be that uh, if you have a home office, like say, for example, in a 2,000 square foot house, that this 200 square feet is dedicated to the business. Um, if you can establish that, then you can take a portion of the house expenses to write off as a part of the business. So uh, any mortgage interest, if there's a mortgage on there, um, repairs and maintenance to maintain the home. With mortgage interest, if you're only writing off 10% of the square footage, do you only get to write off 10% of the interest? No. So, so if you have a mortgage, uh, at the end of the year, you'll have a Form 1098 that comes from your lender. And it'll say to you this, that of the mortgage payments you've made this year, that this is the total interest yep. portion of it. Um, so if you don't claim a home office, then you would take that amount and you would deduct it off of your personal 1040 tax return. Okay. If you have a home office um, within that, that is part of a separate Schedule C tax return on your individual tax return, then that portion would be allocated there and the balance would go to your individual. Okay, interesting. So it's not like duplicated or yep. you miss out. It's just how it's allocated. Okay. Um, utilities, uh, insurance, all the standard expenses that you incur in the course of having a house that you can now allocate over to the home office portion. Okay. Um, internet. Internet, yes. Yep. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so when you have a home office, though, uh, the IRS will not allow you to have a separate establishment that's considered an office and a home office because in their eyes, if you have a separate establishment, then you can find an office space in that establishment. So even like, uh, you know, businesses like the UPS store, that clearly it's very retail oriented and there's lots of movement, lots of daily volume transactions, um, very little quiet (laughs) and peace. And so it's hard sometimes for a business owner to get that in a given day, um, but it's still an office. Mm-hmm. And so in the IRS's eyes, then they they think you should be able to section off a little piece or find time not during operating hours. Right. Um, so just be very careful when you are claiming home office because that is one of the line items on a tax return that the IRS highly focuses on for auditable purposes. Yeah. So um, if you ever do find yourself in that audit situation, it's uh, imperative that you're able to back it up. Mm. So a couple of tips um, for you guys, if you are either A, because I know so many of my friends that are claiming home office, and if you guys ever get audited, you're going to get your teeth kicked in. So this is for you. Um, Number one, it needs to have four walls. Mm-hmm. It needs to be an individual um, room. I know one of my friends who's got like this hallway with this little nook in it. And I don't know, square footage rise, it's probably like 50, 100 square feet, maybe, mm-hmm. like maybe. But he literally like squeezes a little desk in there and that's like his little home office. Not a home office, bro, if you're listening, okay? Um <laughs> And then, so you need your four walls, um, your door. I, like me, I'm big on like making it as obvious as possible. I would write like office on that door or something. But then I was talking to my accountant about this. And if you ever do get audited and you are claiming a home office, they come in and they poke around to do their audit. If they find a piece of personal mail, you're at your home the likelihood of you getting a piece of personal mail mixed up and thrown in there pretty high. Like you have to be very, very clinical about running this because they'll be like, well, what is this? You're obviously taking care of personal mail and personal affairs in here. How do Mm -hmm. I know this is your office? So you need to have your office mail, your office laptop, your office that goes in the office and you can't have any personal stuff in there. Correct. Like this is your office. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if you are doing that and you are claiming it and you're like, <laughs> I've learned over the last year that, again, it is something that they like to hone in on. Absolutely. Because it is an over-abused piece of tax write-off. Mm-hmm. So if you're doing it, make sure you're doing it right. I wanted, I only have a three-bedroom house with three people, but like one of my things is I wanted a fourth bedroom to call the study or the office or the whatever. And then I just learned today that I can't do that and run this office. But if I get myself a second office, mm-hmm. that's a write-off because it's part of the business. It's not part of my personal home, and I don't have the money for an office. So I was annoyed by that because I do a lot of work at home, but what are you going <laughs> to do? It happens, especially as a business owner. There, It's very hard to have a separation of personal and business. Church and state. Ugh. <laughs> um, okay, so next big one, um, if you're like me, uh, if you're in real estate, if you're in pretty much any kind of um, direct sales, 
your my I almost think my biggest write off every year is mileage, but I drive twenty thousand plus miles minimum um, for my job, and there's some very important distinctions when we're talking about you know vehicle versus mileage. So can you walk us through that? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so on the tax return. There, you have two options to claim with regard to vehicle expenses. That's what, how they categorize it. And so um, the first is through mileage. The second is through vehicle maintenance. So with mileage, um, it's just business miles. So you may use your personal car for business purposes, but you need to have a mileage log that documents your odometer from start to finish and location to location. So again, the way that I look at it, every every piece of work I need to do needs to be audit worthy. You always need to be able to support and back up what it is that you're claiming, mm-hmm. um, which if you're doing that, it shouldn't be an issue. Mm-hmm. But um, sometimes it's easy to just become um, complacent yeah. and just know that in that moment that you're doing this, but each moment that builds upon the other and then you get down the road and then you forget or uh, you don't document exactly as it was, then it just becomes more challenging. So it's good to have either a mileage app on your phone, which helps you, it can tie into like your Google Maps. So if you start here and you finish here, it'll track everything for you and populate it on the mileage log. You can have a mileage book that sits in the car with you and you just write in it whenever you make a business trip. But that is something to distinguish between uh, all personal and business mileage. Um, It's based upon whatever the federal reimbursement rate is for that year. So you will take whatever, however many miles you drove times that rate, which is hovered between 55 and 58 cents a mile, depending on the year. And then that's the dollar value equivalent of what you can deduct. Um, So that's your benchmark for that piece of it, if you want to look at your vehicle expenses, that's something where it would be the fuel that you put in your vehicle to drive where you need to go, um, the repair and maintenance to keep the vehicle in good working condition, if you need to change out your tires or any oil changes, um, and then also the insurance on the vehicle. So typically, if you're driving a lot in your business, you're going to come out ahead on the mileage end. Um, And a lot of people do claim that. But sometimes if you choose to go with the vehicle route, uh, it's just easier because you just keep receipts for whatever you've purchased. Mm -hmm. And then you document um, that these are the business expenses that I've incurred for the the vehicle. So you have uh, an opportunity to compare the dollar value of the two when you're ready to file your tax return. And then you take the one with the greatest tax advantage. Yep. Okay. Okay. And for me, QuickBooks Self-Employed has a tracker in it. Mm -hmm. So it literally just sits in my pocket on my phone. And then at the end of the day or the week, depending on how I operated that week, I'll just go through and be like personal business, personal business, personal. It'll just categorize it all for me. Um, So, yeah, there's some very easy ways to do this stuff, guys. Um, When we're talking about mileage vehicle, um, usually that means travel um, for me my mileage over the last few years has started to go down because my revenues have gone up and now I turn those revenues into plane travel and rental cars instead of driving 
you know, 10 hours, 12 hours, whatever, because again, my time is now worth more. I have the ability to invest in travel. So plane tickets, rental cars, um, meals when traveling, all that stuff. Um, and so I think a lot of my business people that are in my network will travel. It's a business trip, but then they use their personal card to pay all of like the snacks on the drive down, the meals with clients, the all that stuff. And they're just not realizing like, hey, I can actually be writing this stuff off. Now, I know there is a rule of thumb with meals. How does that work? Right. Typically, the IRS will not reimburse you 100% for your meal expenses. Um, but it's it's historically been 50% of whatever you expend okay. for a meal purchase. Then they will give you that tax deduction towards reducing your taxable income. So when you go out to a meal... Um, and it's for business purposes where you're, you're again, um, distinctly making this effort to go out and have a meal and talk about business. It's mm -hmm. not like a personal meal. And then all of a sudden you just kind of mention, hey, so this is what I'm doing for a living. Anyways, let's get back to talking <laughs> about other things. <laughs> uh, just guidance, just guidance and advice. That's mm -hmm. all I can give. But um so, so when you do this, uh, that you go out and you have a meal, you write down who you had the meal with, you keep the receipt, always keep receipts. Uh, that's something that, again, if you go through an audit, that's the first thing they're going to ask for. They're going to ask for bank statements, um, all your accounts, and then receipts because they want to verify that if you're going to claim this, then they want to confirm that, yes, this falls in line with um, – their regulations of what's considered acceptable. Okay. And then when you guys are keeping in uh, your receipts, um, this is something that that first business coach taught me. Uh, we were going, I forget where we were going, but he like bought a subway. Um, and then he wrote like uh, meeting with John travel to, I think we we're going to Breckenridge to meet one of his clients or something. Um, and so he like wrote my name, wrote what the meal was for and wrote like where we were going. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what are you doing? And he's like, you note all of your, um, receipts so that if you ever get audited, mm -hmm. you can go back and you're not like, who did I take to lunch that day? What were we, it's just there. You can be like, oh yeah, go ahead call Dave, ask him what we were talking about that day. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was like, oh, okay. And so again, just learned today, I don't have to label every single receipt, um, mostly meals and stuff like that, but I label everything. When I bought this Healthy Wealthy People podcast by Divinity Group, right? Like it's on everything because I know how the government is, guys. I was in the army. <laughs> I know they're going to look for anything to be like, nope, sorry. We were right. You were wrong. So make sure that you're in the right. Like she said, just some tips to stay on track. Mm -hmm. Label receipts. Um, okay, so... We've kind of gone over like why this is all important, kind of how to set yourself up for the taxes, do the tax write-offs. After all that's done, you're left with profit. Correct. Right? And then that's really what you're getting taxed on for your income tax, right? That's right. Right. Yes. So then that last one is going to be profit. In the beginning, guys, this is either going to be non-existent like we talked about for the first three years or it's going to be small. Okay. Typically, yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then we start to get into the really fun area of, man, I've been growing this business. It's cranking now. Um, and I get owner's pay. 
Yeah. Right? Yeah, So absolutely. explain owner's pay. Right. So when you're in sole proprietorship uh, and it's startup, um, like you say, it's just more about what of my existing money am I going to invest into the business that will hopefully um, return that investment in the form of revenues and ultimately profit. Um, so your profit line, uh, which is your bottom line, that's going to be typically small. Um, it's not going to be something that you're typically going to live on day to day. It's more just going to be something that you're growing as a project per se. Um, but once you get into more volume, more transactions, um, higher revenues, greater profit, now all of a sudden that profit line becomes large enough to where you can actually start paying yourself as an employee. Um, prior to that, you're taking distributions. Uh, and what that means is you're just seeing what's available in the existing profit of the business that you can draw out and use for personal purposes. Okay. It's just another line item um, as part of running the business. Um, so when we're talking about owner's pay, that's similar to like W-2 employee earnings yep. where now you're going to, instead of these random distributions of various dollar amounts based on profitability, it's actually going to become a line item, tax deductible line item um, as an expense to the business. Now you're paying yourself. So it's a two part benefit because you're reducing your, um, your business's, uh, tax liability, and then you're also paying yourself to be able to use that money for whatever you want personally. Um, when you become um, at that point to have owner's pay, uh, you would set up with a salary. It would be a nominal salary. So you don't want to launch into, now that you're making money, you want to pay yourself a, a large sum every month because Again, cash flow management. And yep. so if you start committing to pay yourself a large amount and then you have a slow month, all of a sudden you've gotten used to a certain level of income for yourself personally, and then you can't satisfy that expense anymore. Um, so hopefully you'll have savings to fill in the gap. But um, when we're talking about owner's pay, that's something that um, nominal, say 10% of your revenues start there. Um, and what that means is, um, the consistent salary, now you're paying into social security and Medicare. Uh, the company is now paying what was your self-employment tax in the form of they're paying that employer liability of payroll taxes. So it kind of transitions into where now the company is taking that, um, brunt of that expense. And then you go into being able to pay into social security, Medicare, or down the road when you want to be able to use that if it's still there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, beautiful. And so that kind of is bringing us towards what will morph into a follow-up episode on this. Um, but guys, for the most part, we're talking about um, sole proprietors or people who were just like, oh, I went and got an LLC, but I'm not properly doing this financial side. I'm not properly tracking my taxes and uh, making sure that I have deductions and write-offs and all that stuff. Um, that was the main focus of what we were talking about here today. From here, you know, if you're a sole proprietor and you're thinking, I want an LLC, okay, everything that we just talked about today 
applies. Same thing, um, the LLC is really just gonna turn your business into its own entity and give some separation between you and the business, making you less liable. Again, it's taking the limited liability, right? Um, the big thing it's gonna give you really is again that FEIN number, that Federal Employment Identification number, which is gonna allow your um, business to have its own bank account because now that number is kind of like your social security number, right? So now the bank goes, oh, I recognize this as its, again, own entity. So the business can do business with us, not just you. So I, in my very first business, as soon as somebody said liability, I was like, mm, nope, I'm getting one of those LLC things because I am not being liable for any of this. That's why I jump into LLCs and then I get to really build out the brand. Um, you know, when you go to make your business name, if you're just doing it as a sole proprietor and you're calling yourself XYZ, whatever, you might go to make your business and find out there's somebody else in town who has that business name or in your state, really. Um, and if you're going to grow bigger than that, you might run into that on a, okay, now I've clashed heads with somebody on a national or international level and now we're in a whole rebrand. So for me, I'm super long-term vision oriented. And so I get on uh, Google, I get on Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff. And I search like for Divinity Group, right? Search Divinity Group. Does anyone else have this? Yes, no. Okay, now I got to change my name a little bit or I'm good. Then I get on the Secretary of State website and same thing, you type in that business name and they will search real quick and make sure no one else has that. So then before you're ever like, this is my business, you know that's not anyone else's business. So for me, the LLC just makes things really, really clean. And if you know me and you know my obsessive compulsive nature, like that means something to me. Um, and then I am just now with Sarah and my um, accountant, I am just now starting to shift into that corporate setting where I am now paid as an employee of the business because I do not want to get smacked around by this year's tax bill that's coming, right? So then I'm going to get taxed on this income and my business is going to keep the rest of those revenues and my business is going to have a bunch of those write-offs and all that stuff that we talked about. Um, so now my business is to the point where it's not me and the business, it's the business and I'm just paid by it. Right. So um, I was advised and I agree now that I understand this a little bit more deeply that we are going to have maybe my accountant come in and talk more on some stuff um, deeper into this, but really find a, a business lawyer to come in and really dig deep into LLCs, corporations and how all of that actually works from a legal standpoint. Um, so be looking for that episode coming up. For you, Sarah, if people want to reach you or people want to come find you, have you be their uh, bookkeeper, where do they go to find you? So I have a website, gracefulaccounting.com. Okay. That's, um, it's just a very basic website, but it provides the information of these are the services that I offer. This is how you can contact me. Um, I'm based in Libby and so I have a local Montana number, business number now, um, but probably just the website I would say because you can access that from anywhere and it's easy to remember. Awesome. And I will link uh, a bunch of stuff in here, guys. I'm going to link her uh, personal contact info through the 
website, email, you know, the Montana number, whatever else she wants to give you guys. Um, I'm going to link uh, some of the things that we talked about today, like QuickBooks, QuickBooks Self-Employed. Um, I'll probably leave Mint out because, uh, again, more of a personal thing. Um, I'll link for the state of Montana, the um, Secretary of State's website. If you're in any other state, that's all you have to do to form your LLC. Go to the Secretary of State website, file for a business LLC, and it literally step-by-steps it for you. Um, but I will link Montana's in there. Um, is there any last takeaway or anything that you want sole proprietors, business owners, entrepreneurs to walk away from this episode with any last like, Hey, it's not that hard. It's not that big yeah, of a deal. That's it's... the first thing that came to mind was don't be intimidated by the numbers. Yep. I would say embrace them. And look forward to be being able to understand your business better so that you can grow it. Um, if you're going to uh, do a business, make sure it's something you're passionate about because 100. you're going to be doing it on repeat and uh, pouring yourself into it in so many capacities. Um, so also, uh, when you're aligning the numbers portion of it, uh, to it, just knowing that, um, it's just basic ins and outs. It's just like personal life. You spend money, you earn money, but now it's in the business sense where it can work for you and you can grow it to where if you get your business large enough, you can hire people underneath. And now all of a sudden that the company you are working for, you're that business owner and you have people working for you, making money for you that you can grow from there. Mm-hmm. Two things that I love that you said in there is, man, most of the businesses that I've seen fail um, since I've been in business, it's because a personal trainer or a chef or a whatever, XYZ, thinks, oh, I'm so tired of this. I'm so tired of working for this person. I'm so tired of paying, uh, you know, mat fees and all this stuff. I'm just going to run my own business. And they think that they're going to go be a personal trainer. And that's what running their own business is. Guys, if you absolutely love personal training to its core, da, 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 I maybe wouldn't advise being a business owner because most of the businesses that I know that fail are not because it was a poor tattoo artist or a poor personal trainer or a poor chef or a poor bookkeeper. It's the fact that they hated running a business and they just wanted to be personal training. Like if that's your thing, know that because if you come over to being a business owner, there's all kinds of shit that you're going to hate doing but you either got to do it or you got to pay somebody else to do it because running a business and being a personal trainer are two separate jobs. Being a business owner, a CEO and being a chef are two completely different jobs and you have to fill both of those shoes. And then again, don't put too much pressure on yourself. Just go out and do it right. Learn it, research it like, Guys, I'm a high school dropout. I had no idea how to do any of this stuff. I just researched and tried, failed, paid too much in taxes this year, paid, you know, took too much in write-offs this year. Did it like, it's all a learning process. Ask questions. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid. There's no, no question that's not going to inform you. Mm -hmm. And, um, and if you feel like you ask someone a question and they, they're dismissive or you get disheartened, 
because of the response, keep moving forward, keep asking questions, keep seeking other avenues because it's all a growing process. Mm -hmm. Man, love it. Thank you for coming out today. Thank you. Yes. All right, guys, I will see you later. Thanks for jumping on and listening. All right, y'all. We have reached the inevitable end of today's episode. But before we go our separate ways, I just want to take a quick minute to say fucking thank you. Thank you for investing your listening time with me when there are literally millions of other artists whose content you could be consuming. Your support and feedback mean more to me than you will ever realize, which is why I'm going to ask you for one favor before we wrap this thing up. Please, if you have found any value in the show at all, there are three things you can do to help us grow. One, follow and or subscribe so you never miss another episode. Two, rate the show so other listeners can see just how goddamn good our content is. And three, Take a screenshot of this episode, share it with your followers, and tag me at John Divine Inc. so that they have the same opportunities and access to information that you do. Now, get out there and enjoy the pursuit of the healthiest, wealthiest, most authentic version of yourself, and I'll see you right back here in two weeks for another episode of the Healthy Wealthy People Podcast. Peace!